0: Oh, here we go, Mark. Yeah, Off it's again it's with your. Mark, being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know. If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, this podcast. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Matt?
1: what is my personal mission with everything I'm doing right now, and follow the mission. I want to trust that everything I'm doing is about purpose. If I have a passion, a hope, and a direction, I'm going to follow that. I'm not afraid of not knowing where it will lead, I'm afraid of not following where it leads me. I think that is a valuable quality to have. So, I don't know where that's going to lead me, but I know that I need to follow it. I think the only way to make sure that we're doing good is to lead in an intentional way, to deliberately seek to serve and to love, setting intentions, and producing positive action. This is how it looks like. The future is bright, and so it is.
2: The way an old big robotic creature ugly one He came back in because I was starting to kind of come out of my trance a little bit, get to where I could move, grab me by the arm. But when he did, I felt uh, like a puncher. And then later on at the examination at the hospital, they said it was one. So I figured he injected something in me to kind of settle me down. And that's when he picked me up, carried me back outside set me down on the river, facing the river, my arms stretched out, and the next thing I knew, I heard Charlie, Calvin, Calvin, you okay? And uh, I turned around and looked, and the the craft, the light, the bright light just disappeared. I figured that's the door closed. Microphones there, they wanted me to, to, they wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that so all I could do is keep a mouth shut. And General Raymond is the one who discussed, or told the newspapers, I mean the newsmen, what it was and to forget about it. It is nothing more than a observation balloon.
1: I want to find out what is my personal mission with everything I'm doing right now, and follow the mission. I want to trust that everything I'm doing is about purpose, if I have a passion, a hope, and a direction, I'm going to follow that. I'm not afraid of not knowing where it will lead, I'm afraid of not following where it leads me. I think that is a valuable quality to have. So, I don't know where that's going to lead me, but I know that I need to follow it. I think the only way to make sure that we're doing good is to lead in an intentional way, to deliberately seek to serve and to love, setting intentions, and producing positive action. This is how it looks like. The future is bright,
3: and so it is. There that night, he was 12. Now, for the first time ever publicly, he recounts what happened. All I've seen was uh, just what they looked like. Well uh, feet, well hands, pointed ears, and uh, big round eyes. And they was about three foot tall. And uh, they had silver uniforms on. First of all, my mother's was uh, the first one that them. Uh, she uh, was looking through the, win- uh, in the window glass and one come up at the window. And my mother hollered, so my half brother, he came in there with a double glass. <laughs> yeah.
4: uh, Patrolling the top with the metal bent out, like uh, some sort of you know
3: large caliber, uh, four or five inch projectile had gone through it.
2: Even before he saw the sport model operate, Lazar says, he suspected that the ship came from somewhere else. What do you think?
3: Do you believe in UFOs?
2: Oh, oh, yeah, yes, sir. Definitely. They're out there, man. I've seen them. I've been out there in Aurora, Texas. They got them little graves and stuff. Water, man.
5: You heard the man. Water. They be made of anything
3: extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial, you mean? That, that Extraterrestrial e- Extraterrestrial Extraterrestrial There
1: you go I want to find out what is my This is how it looks like The future is bright, and so it is
2: What are on the matter? And Major Hector Quintanella is now the chief of Project Rupert Major Quintanella, what are the objectives of Project Rupert? The objectives of the program are 2 They're the same as they have been since 1953 in the regulation of 50. First of all, to try to determine if the UFO phenomena presents a threat to the security of the United States, and second, to determine if the UFO phenomena exhibits any technological advances that could, could be found for the What's the record so far?
3: Today, we have over 10,000 cases of flight Patterson Air Force. Of which, 646 of these
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family thinks and crazy podcast and with me today the founders, the creators, the men behind the Hush Hush Society. We have Mystery Mike, Declassified Dave, and of course, the Freaky Frank. I don't know what uh, F word you guys usually introduce him by, (laughs) but I'm going to go with Freaky Frank. Welcome to the show, dude. Sometimes I call myself Mystic Mark, so this is fitting. We all have sort of unique names, and, and two of you, I don't know if Dave is local, but two of you, are from Connecticut. So I'm pretty psyched to have you all on the show. I know you've been doing the Hush Hush Society for quite a while now. So for folks who may not know you or have heard of you before, would you mind introducing yourselves
4: individually? Sure.
3: I'm Mystery Mike.
4: I am Declassified Dave. And I am Slick Frank Sanders, but today I will absolutely take up the name of Freaky Frank. I'm there it is. Thank you. Thank you.
0: See, Frank I, Frank. I knew it was something. I didn't know if it was the same thing every time. Slick Frank Sanders. There we go. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. the only one
3: without alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Right on. Okay.
0: So you guys are the men behind the Hush Hush Society. You've been doing this show for quite a while, I guess. A good intro question would be what what made you guys come together and form this hush hush society? Have you known each other before the podcast started? How did this uh, how did this kick off?
3: Yeah, so Dave and I we have known each other for a long long time now, well over 20 years. Frank I've known forever. So we all kind of like-minded people, we would be very interested in conspiracies. I was part of a podcast previous that had nothing to do with conspiracies and that was coming to an end. Dave had come on and guested on the show a couple times. And I said, you know, I really want to get into something new. And I, you know, I think it's, it's time that I retire this show and start something new. And he said, all right, let's brainstorm on what we're going to do. And obviously, I mean, the answer kind of came quick to us because it was, Things that we were very interested in, occult things, the cults, you know, true crime, conspiracies, cryptids, all the all the weird and mysterious type stuff. And, and it, it started off kind of like a joke at first because uh, we came up with this ridiculous long name <laughs> for the show. Uh, it was the, words. yeah, it was like the, the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour featuring Mystery Mike and Declassified Dave and Slick Frank Sanders and the Molly Wap band. It was the longest name that we could come up with. Much. Eventually it got cut down, obviously. And we started just in the midst of the pandemic, August of 2020. And we've been going ever since just getting
0: into the wild. Right on. Yeah, that's that's right about the same time I kind of got kicked off into this, the, the midst of the pandemic. I, I quit my former job. I got to <laughs> give it up to you guys for sticking together and doing the show for as long as you have. That's really cool. So out of everything that you've talked about you've run the full gamut i mean for folks who haven't heard the hush hush society go there turn it on you're gonna learn a lot it's like an encyclopedia of conspiracies in my opinion is there anything that you guys were particularly motivated to talk about before this show started like is there a favorite i hate to call them favorites but was there a conspiracy theory that you were most passionate about or or felt like you 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 needed to talk about anyone in particular
5: Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't think we've ever been asked that.
3: Yeah. Especially yeah.
5: in the in the beginning or the inception of the show. I think we were really, I think the three of us, I could probably speak for the three of us, I think we were really into the JFK assassination and the Epstein stuff was going on right when we started the show. So that was some interesting things that we were talking about in the beginning. I think the Vatican was another topic that we kind of were focused on. But we had a bunch of other ideas and I don't know if we had a favor. I think we just wanted to do things that we thought was cool and interesting and perplexing. Yeah. And we just kind of ran with it from there.
0: Well, the JFK conversation is a big one. I mean, some people would argue that the conspiracy theorist identity itself was born out of that conspiracy theory, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. was... Mm-hmm. It was certainly popularized at that time period, but I would argue that Americans are just conspiracy theorists in general. I mean, you go back far enough. I mean, the the Puritans who settled in New England, they had plenty of conspiracies. I mean, we still know about them today thanks to the whole lore around the Salem witch trial. I don't know how you guys feel about the occult and magic. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a conspiracy, but there are elements to it where people were conspiring against each other and maybe even using magic to do so. But yeah, it seems like JFK is one of those theories that everybody has an idea about, but nobody has a conclusion for. I mean, there are some conclusive thoughts on the JFK thing, but is there any one theory that you guys are particularly made by? Any conclusion that you find you know, comfortable making when it comes to JFK because it, it does feel like uh, you put your finger on one and it, it's elusive. It's like three card Monty.
5: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
5: yeah.
3: yeah. I think since then, and it's been a while, I mean, that was our first season. Two years ago. <laughs> yes, when we <laughs> first started, I think it was within our first five episodes or so. But I think when I when we first covered it, I was very, I was very dead set on it being some sort of mafia connection. But, Since kind of researching a little more and reading other books and, you know, I I even said, I've said within the past couple of weeks that we should do a part three because we did a two-parter to start it off. I think that there were a lot more people involved. Some people say up to eight different shooters. So reading a couple books and, and getting in, like diving back into that research, there's a lot of stuff that I think we didn't really, we didn't cover because we didn't know about it. And, you know, again, our first couple shows, but we could definitely get back into it. I don't think that it's mafia related anymore. CIA really sticks out to me a lot. But then again, there's also the, the Federal Reserve, which is a big connection for me, especially when it comes to JFK. So there's a few there's a few theories that I got floating around now, but nothing that I'm like dead set on.
5: Hmm.
4: I, I came across something on the subject on Read it the other day, and I'm not saying by any means this is what I'm dead set on as like the resolution for the JFK assassination, but I thought it was interesting because I'd never heard of it. But there's people that are convinced that the hat making industry out of Danbury, Connecticut, were actually behind the JFK assassination because I guess he was the first president that didn't regularly wear a hat. And it like totally screwed up the the hat industry. Really, and there's people. Yeah, there's there's people that are saying that that the the big hat corporations took out JFK. Huh.
5: Damn.
0: I have I heard didn't hear that. I've heard some weird stuff about hats in Danbury. I mean, the whole term "mad hatter" comes from the hat makers who got themselves poisoned with mercury. So, I got, you got to imagine. I don't know if you've ever been to Danbury. I know you, mu- you guys might. <laughs> There's a good well, likelihood. Born in Danbury. Okay, so, so then yeah, I, there might be some mercury in the water. I'm not trying to say anything about you, Dave, but it, it does <laughs> Never seem like there. just just bored Okay, just bored. well, yeah, just it does seem from an outside perspective, having driven through there frequently, that there, there might 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 be something (laughs) in the water. But yeah, the the other JFK Connecticut connection is, have you guys ever heard of his honeymoon trailer that he used to go and in Cheshire, Connecticut, he would get, I think, escorted by, you know, Secret Service or whoever secretly off to this Airstream trailer in Cheshire of all places where he would, you know, have these secret meetings with the woman of, you know, who knows, maybe it was Marilyn Monroe, maybe it was some other New York City, you know, Starlet that he was shipping out. But the the rumor out of Cheshire is that it was happening in Cheshire, Connecticut, and he actually went to school in Wallingford. So, I mean, it wouldn't be that far uh, afield to imagine he had
3: some friends, you know,
0: back in Mm -hmm. Connecticut.
3: (laughs) Oh, I wonder shit. what the resale value on that Airstream is. Oh.
5: <laughs> I wonder where it is. Do they have like the actual property where that Airstream could have allegedly been? That's a good question. You guys aren't too, too far from Cheshire. Yeah. yeah so gonna, go, I'll go look right it. now. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah.
0: I'd have to ask my buddy who told me that. I don't know if there's any yeah. any conclusive evidence. But I would guess that it would be somewhere near the Merritt Parkway because the Merritt Parkway mm-hmm. is like a pipeline from New York City up into, mm-hmm. you know, Hartford. So definitely would be the likely place. But anyways, JFK, Skull and Bones seem to have a connection as well. I just want to bring that up. But we've sort of started off With JFK, conspiracy, you know, that's average. That's something that most people know. What about the fringes? Is there anything that you've covered on Hush Hush Society that you think is, you know, maybe... Only heard about there is something that maybe there's not a lot to say about, but sticks out. It stands out. Something that maybe people haven't heard of that you guys have covered.
3: As far as the fringes, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of gotten mainstream recently. Simulation theory, we dove Really deep into that one. Another one. The mattress firm conspiracy. I think that one was a little weird. People haven't hadn't heard really that. heard of that one. I haven't. So
0: let's hear no, that. What? No. What? Give me the the lowdown. What's a quick one on one on the mattress
5: firm conspiracy? There's sure. A couple angles yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah there's, there's, well, one angle to it was that mattress firm was actually charging. Were they charging flooring companies twice? The square footage to repurpose their floors and then in, like embezzling the money mm-hmm. from those, from those, those endeavors. And then there's the big conspiracy of mattress firms, just not owning, not having much stock in stores that are literally like right across the street from each other. And Mike, I think you yeah. have, a, you have a really good rundown on, on that. Yeah.
3: So the- the the main the main element of the mattress firm conspiracy is that they're a money
5: laundering <laughs>
3: operation. It's it was kind of proven in our in our research that there was definitely something going on with money, whether it was embezzlement through c- CEOs, former CEOs, people getting in trouble, like Dave said, for kind of overcharging. So they would have a company come in, they would have the floors done, and In the books, they would say it costs, you know, let's say $20,000 to redo it when in actuality it was $10,000. So they were, you know, there was the rumor that they were washing money that way and getting these stores. And then they would go and they would acquire these empty storefronts or get new stores that were just ridiculous in price. Let's say that they found something in L.A. that was, you know, 50 grand a month for a storefront. They would open up a store there and they would, you know, through the book, say that they were paying 100 grand a month for rent. And as we looked into it more and more, you know, there might have been ties with MS-13. There might have been ties with Mafia. You know, there were as far as where the money was being laundered on the books, it looked like it was just through the company itself in certain employees and certain CEOs and higher ups. But there's always the question of like, where was that money really going? And, you yeah. know, they, they're making a lot of money on the books every year. You know, we kind of questioned how many people are buying mattresses and why. You Have know, you, I mean,
0: thought- you've, if you guys are from Connecticut. If you drive down the post road, there are... Oh. So many mattress stores, and it's unbelievable. It's they're they're for the most part empty parking lots in front of these mattress stores, at least when I'm driving Mm -hmm. by them. I mean, yeah, it it makes sense that something's going on. And you also have to consider that if a cop pulls over a truck holding a bunch of mattresses, he's not going to be able to pull all the mattresses out and see what the hell's in between them, you know. So, Mm -hmm. you got a good smuggling cover there, too. You could ship stuff
5: all over the place. (laughs) We had a I think we had another connection that we found. wasn't they were a part of a parent company huh. that was was it out of South Africa that was a retailer throughout throughout portions of of Africa and I think some parts of Europe, and they were I think they had gotten caught for doing some type of money laundering, but they're still a company. I forget the name of the the company, but yeah, we had the question that was really an interesting question because you know how many people buy mattresses all the time? There's not something you go buy regularly you know it usually takes a couple of years for you to outgrow a mattress and I think we asked each other if you ever bought a mattress how many people were in the store with you and I recently bought a mattress like two years ago and I was the only person in the store for the hour that was there hmm. so it's it's very weird and on top of it it's a mattress firm and across the street in a different plaza there's a mattress
1: firm
4: well their, their explanation to that was that mattress firm was buying up the, the Sleepy stores and all the other mattress stores around there to kind of cancel out their competition. They would buy the mom and pop mattress shop down the street just to kind of get rid of them. But again, that could have just been another avenue of their front, using that money from wherever it came from to buy up more locations.
0: Right. And you do see this, with a lot of these big corporations, they seem to work in lockstep with one another over time to cancel out small businesses, whether it's purely for their own, you know, competition in that small, you know, economy, wherever it may be, or there's a larger, you know, reason for this thing. Maybe they need, you know, have mattress trucks shipping things that they don't want the average person knowing is being shipped from here to there and in, in Delaware, right? So I definitely as as you know benign as a conspiracy like that may seem I can see how you know you get to the bottom of it and you're in this spider web that leads to things like MS13 the mafia federal reserve even's probably got their hands in there somehow so when it comes to this conspiracy world that we're in there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about that I personally, I find very perplexing. One of the biggest ones for me, and I've had people on my show who claim to have gone 20 and back, and it's the secret space program. You guys have this in your notes. I assume you You must have been researching this lately or have something to say about it. I personally, uh, I think it's interesting. Again, very perplexed. The, the more time that's passed since that interview, the less... I believe in the secret space program, but I definitely was compelled to sit there and hear this man tell me, I mean, in detail, very long memories, what seemed to him like memories of, you know, encounters with alien beings, training in military bases, mating with aliens, doing all kind, and then coming right back to his life as a 15 year old boy. So, I mean to the average person that probably sounds unbelievable but there are numerous people i mean i've had one on my one person on my shows talks about this but there are thousands of people who say they've had this experience so what are your thoughts on on the secret space program and and maybe the 20 and back side of it
3: yeah the mylab program is always it's i think that's one of the more interesting parts of the whole secret space program other than obviously nazis putting u-boats into the into space but it's it's very interesting to kind of think you know you're thinking about like Corey good who is one of the most popular person you know people that talked about the MyLab program and how he spent like you said all these years and then you get age regressed back to when you started so it's kind of this contract that you get into with you know with the u.s government but in reality it's probably just some world entity that you get into and and I don't know how much I believe in the MyLab program or that twenty and back. It, 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 the age regression part of it kind of kind of throws me off on it, honestly. But there's a lot there's a lot of interesting aspects to the entire program, to the Secret Space program in general. Whether it be you know we're talking about Earth being some sort of prison planet, you know the Moon being essentially a, a, a guard tower. Whether they were taking, you know, people off planet to become slaves on Mars, you know, there's, there's so many dis- different aspects to it. And it, in all honesty, a lot of people look at it and they go, that sounds very sci-fi. That's very like out there. How, you know, how do you get to that point? And then you hear about like the Die Glock and stuff like that, where the Germans were really testing the, the, the rocketry and Hmm. You know, it, it, it is it that far of a leap if we look at how advanced the Germans were in World War II versus the rest of the world and Operation Paperclip and how we jump into that? It, you know, it's it's leaps and bounds. But at the same time, if you took small hops every now and again, you eventually see how you could get there.
2: Hmm.
3: Man. But yeah, it's, it's wild stuff. Wild stuff. I don't know. Like I said, the 20 and back. Not sure how much I believe in that.
5: But yeah, like Corey Good claims are interesting because he talks about a lot of stuff. He talks, he mentions obviously the age regression and then he mentions the Mars slave colonies. He also has some pretty more outlandish claims like there's 900 extraterrestrial species that we work with in a conglomerate with like the Galactic Federation on top of the Solar Warden program, which is supposed to allegedly defend the solar system. And then there's the ICC, which is the Interplanetary Corporate Conglomerate, which does trade, and that's where the Mars slave colonies come in. So he has a lot of interesting allegations when it comes to his portion of knowledge Mm -hmm. with the secret space program.
0: Right, right. Mars is definitely one of these catch-alls. In a certain way, like you have a bunch of theories that seem to include Mars. None of them seem to agree with each other, but they all include Mars, right? I mean, one of the earlier, I don't know, conspiracies, at least for me, was the face on Mars, right? I remember when I was really young, just seeing this on the internet, like, oh, there's a face on Mars. So then as ancient aliens came along, I was like, oh, wow that all makes sense. There's faces on Mars. The aliens built the pyramids. And, but now that I've really gotten my feet wet, so to speak with history, archeology, span and all of these sort of alternative takes on those subjects, I've started to be less inclined to, you know, follow up with that alien portion of the ancient alien theory. And I, I don't know, you know, the Corey Goods of the world really don't help in that matter. I wonder if you think that, like many people, this is all a part of the military's attempt to, you know, set us up for Project Bluebeam <laughs> by getting guys like Corey Good out there talking about aliens. And then all of a sudden hologram, you know, holographic versions of these beings show up and everyone's been scripted to know oh that's the aliens that we know what they do we know why they're here hide your butt run they're gonna probe you right like that's <laughs> that's i mean essentially what most the average person off the street thinks of aliens i mean they they don't even consider themselves conspiracy theorists at this point but they've been programmed to have a an idea of what aliens
5: are mean, yeah, especially with with hollywood i guess it's 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 weird because you know, Gary McKinnon in, in O2 when he hacked NASA. Mm. And he says supposedly he found, you know, a ton of information that was like, you know, obviously UFOs taken out of satellite, satellite images. And then the, the more intriguing portions, the military officers that had like extraterrestrial operations and like the different fleets that he found. I think it was like eight motherships and 40 other smaller craft that had actual like a manifest of off world officers or non-terrestrial officers, which do you think that they just made that? So if somebody did, there was a guy like Gary McKinnon hacked into NASA that they were just like, ah, you can just find this garbage. That's a great point. Really be true.
0: It's a great point. I, I I tend to agree with you there. Like they wouldn't go out of their way to create this, you know, illusion of, of, you know, things going on anticipating a hack like that i think they would have just maybe created a security solution that prevented that hacker right i mean they wouldn't have arrested him again if if it was meant to be some kind of like decoy thing that someone was meant to find right yeah so yeah that's, that's a very good point i think it's a tricky subject because now we're looking at a different term altogether they're calling them uaps instead of ufos and I don't know where you guys stand on the occult and all that but I think the 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 language we use is important right so shifting the conversation away from that term UFO also shifts it away from all the research that's gone into UFOs from the alternative community almost like in a way controlling the information controlling the optics so it still appears like a military thing, something the military needs to deal with, not something that people should be concerned with, average people.
4: (laughs) That's a great point. I was actually going to say the same thing as you started saying what you were saying. The term UAPs does make it come off much more militaristic, whereas UFOs, I wouldn't say is childish, but a little bit more sci-fi, a little bit more Mm. imaginative and I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, where it's hard to dive headfirst into a subject like this and like really take it in and really research it, knowing damn well that there is a possibility that it's an enormous psyop and that it's almost a waste of time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that's where it, it becomes very important to trust your intuition and and, and use discernment with these things because it, it does feel like a lot of these subjects border on the realms of, you know, paranoia and, and schizophrenia. I imagine dealing with these subjects while in the company of friends helps mitigate that. But it definitely, definitely you get the sense from some people who are full-blown believers that, you know, you, you couldn't get directions to the grocery store from them, let alone, you know, common sense explanation on UFOs.
3: And that also makes you go into the thought process of how much of what we're being told or how much of these conspiracies that all of us are interested in or covering are actually psyops within themselves. Mm. You know, how many of these things came after that JFK assassination? Mm. How many things came after the emergence of the conspiracy theorists? Right. You know. Did the CIA or any of those, you know, alphabetical organizations come up with the thought process of, hey, let's just throw them a bunch of random shit. They're going to believe it. We'll just give them little bits here and there. And it's just all a distraction in itself. You know, <laughs> I, I, I ride the line between like thinking it's all bullshit and just being red pilled and being like, it's all real. And, it, you know, you run the gamut of, of saying, well, is it real or is it a psyop or am I being played and thinking that I'm being the smart one and thinking that I'm researching these things? In reality, I'm just playing into the hand of the government or into the hand of these dark organizations that exist. It's tough stuff i think i think there definitely are subjects out there that were created by the government ufo's strangely i think more and more as it's happening and as we're seeing this disclosure and as we're seeing it in congress and and more people are talking about it i more so dive into the realm of thinking that it was something created by the government because if you think about it it's
5: reverse engineered at some point If that were the case.
3: Yeah. Like, but even, but even, even let's say, you know, when, when does this happen? It happens right around the, the cold war. We get Roswell a few years before the start of the cold war. So let's say that we did capture some sort of Russian ship or Russian probe or anything like that. We're not going to go and tell people during the red scare. Hey, we caught a Russian probe. You know what what chaos that would cause? I mean, we were already in the midst of it. It was already starting up that people were pointing at their neighbors and going, you're a commie, you're a commie, you're a spy. So now imagine headlines, America captures Russian probe, Russian spy, you know, like it just it would play into these things that we have no control over our borders. We have no control over who gets in and what's going on and what information they're getting. It would cause chaos, especially during that time.
0: Mm. That's a great point. Yeah, there's definitely that aspect to it where it softens the reality of this global war that's constantly going on around us. I mean, so many of the conspiracy theories that, are important to me personally, and I'm sure to many listeners and hopefully you guys are the ones that lead to solutions. Right. I think that's a big part of why people get interested in conspiracies is because they see the world as sort of, there's something going on. Right. And I've heard it explained as a symptom of our political environment, right? We're in a political environment that not only ignores the individuals it claims to represent but it oppresses them actively right and this is a, a perfect scenario for conspiracy thinking but you know on that note when it comes to war and conflict do you think that it's purely material means Do you think that we're just dealing with a dr evil who wants to control the whole world or do you think there's something spiritual going on i mean you guys have looked at a lot of different subjects Uh, do you ever get the sense that maybe they're going after something deeper than just control of uh, our minds and bodies do you think there's some sort of element to this at all
4: i 100 think so i definitely think that there's some sort of spiritual not even some sort there's massive amounts of spiritual suppression happening and i'm not going to say that it's they're they're trying to suppress religion necessarily. That's not really what I'm trying to get at, but you look at things, it it almost seems like things are designed to keep us indoors, keep us outside of nature. And then you get into the calcification of the pineal gland and kids don't know how to meditate. Kids don't know how to take a second and just like be within themselves and kind of understand their surroundings people's surroundings are on a screen now. I, I can't help but feel like there's some sort of spiritual suppression at hand. And what that does is create a mass amount of people that I, I don't even know how to explain it. it. I don't know if it would make them more easy to control or if people are just thinking differently. But I, I definitely believe that that stuff's happening.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you elaborating on that because I find it something that personally I've dealt with like this battle, right? I went from being grow like raised to to be a certain way, right? You have parents that want you to be Catholic, they want you to be Christian, wherever you may grow up and for me it was Catholic and I sort of rebelled against that. I'm like, "No, science makes more sense. I'm I'm an atheist." Then I get into, you know, my late teenage years and I start smoking weed and, and learning about all this stuff. And I'm like, hold on a second. I think there is some truth to these religions, but they're not giving us the whole story. You know, they're giving us, you know, something, something else. Speaking Solely for myself. I mean, have you guys looked into the Catholic Church or any other groups, religious groups, throughout your crusade, uh, so to speak, through these topics?
4: Particularly the Vatican. Catholicism itself has come up throughout a couple of topics, but we haven't done necessarily like a deep dive into it.
3: Yeah, I think we we kind of touched on the history of the Vatican throughout like Knights Templar and stuff like that. But as far as diving into religions themselves, no, we, we, you know, of, of all conspiracy podcasts that exists out there, we're like one of the only shows that we're like, we're not going to talk about politics or religion. <laughs> it's just, it's like one of those things that we, we don't really dive into. And when we do, we all kind of have differing, viewpoints on it I myself am not necessarily a a person that adheres to religion or religious texts or or anything of the sort I'm kind of in the wheelhouse of the the age-old argument of like hey there's 5,000 gods out there what makes yours the right one so I do think that there is some sort of intelligent design to it all whether you call that a god whether you call that the you know a particle that just found its way i don't know but like frank was saying i do think that there is this suppression of our frequencies the suppression of our thought processes and, and the ability to think for yourself and the ability to think critically i think is is massively under attack at all times you know when when you're talking about elites or you know people in power or shadow governments whatever we want to call them i think it's about money anymore because at that point you are so rich you're so you know money's not an object anymore money doesn't exist so it's like when you're talking billions of dollars or trillions of dollars, that's, that's not real. You know, at that point it's not real. So nobody's chasing money up there, up in those, those high echelons of, of, of evil. They're chasing power, but they also have power. So what, so when you reach those points, what else is there? You know, it's, it's like you want power over more and more and more. And, Eventually it becomes you just want power over the world, you know, and what's even more powerful than having the power over someone's will is the power over somebody's belief or faith. That's the ultimate power. When it When it boils down to it, it's not, oh, you know, I can get you to stay in your house. I can get you to, to shun your family or not follow these rules or go into chaos and cause anarchy. It's... I can get you to question every belief that you've ever had in your entire life and make you just get rid of them.
0: Yeah. Great point. I definitely feel that that is present at least in some churches. I don't want to speak for every church, but the churches that I've been <laughs> in have left me with that same impression that my faith, my belief were were up to them to decide, not my own. And and I never never liked being in a scenario where someone's telling me how to think, right? I'm sure you guys would concur. We're New Englanders. We tend to be a pretty individualistic, <laughs> right? So I, I think you can't avoid, despite the politeness of that approach, you can't avoid coming into politics and religion when you get into conspiracy, unfortunately, because it seems that the people conspiring are the ones that believe with the most certainty, right? I mean, those who who burned the witches at the stake, those who convinced us that we had to go fight the bad Muslims who had weapons of mass destruction and, you know, all of these other fairy tales that they convince us it's it's almost like that control of our faith is flip side maybe the other edge of that sword is control of our fear right if they can't control what we believe in they'll at least control what we're afraid of and and make damn sure that we we are afraid and that's one of the biggest things I've felt relieved about as I ventured into this conspiracy podcasting world is the amount of people who listen to my show listen to shows like yours and come away with a, a sense of courage that, okay, now I know more and I'm going to face it rather than this, like, doom, black pill pessimism that some people, you know, I don't know who, I haven't personally heard any shows that sound too much like this, but it exists, I'm sure. But there there's no reason to be pessimistic. I mean, have you guys learned anything that, you know, maybe gives you a silver lining to all this? I mean, the Hush Hush Society has covered quite a lot. Is there any conspiracy theories that that end up showing us that there are heroes afoot? That's a tough one. What, D.B. Cooper? (laughs) Yeah, D.B. Cooper. Cooper. That's a good example. There you go. That man is a hero. (laughs) At least the airlines and the banks.
3: I think, you know, the silver lining is for as much as we see conspiracy throughout decades that they haven't won. You know, it's, it it may be a long play. You may look at it and go, okay, well, they're planning this over not decades. They're planning this over hundreds of years and centuries, you know, they got, they got long, long plays going on. But I think ultimately what it boils down to is they have not won. There are people that still question everything. And I think that's kind of like one of the best human qualities is, The ability to question what is around you, even if it's something that is plainly put in your face, you can still look at it and go, are you sure this is real? Is this what is this real or is this what you want me to believe is real? I think that in itself is a silver lining. You know, one thing that we've always kind of seen throughout a lot of the things that we've covered is that there are people out there whistleblowers people that that kind of gave their accounts of these things those people are are even in the face of peril even in the face of you know sh- you know surely being put on some sort of hit list are still willing to come out and do the right thing and tell these stories edward snowden you know julian assange like yeah i mean we're, if we're talking about you know everyday people shout uh, out
4: max spires
3: yeah, Max Fires, Gary Webb, you know, people that knew that they were putting themselves into danger and into peril, whether it was them, their family, their friends, but they knew that they had to do the right thing. And I think there are a lot of those people out there and whether they are magnified and put into the public eye is a whole nother discussion in itself, because I think there are a lot more people that are not put into the public eye that are just as brave. And they are doing things even behind the scenes that are, are kind of putting roadblocks in front of whatever plans are happening and whatever plans are put into place by these, these higher ups and by these shadowy figures. Mm-hmm. So I think realistically, if, if you're looking at it from a conspiracy theorist point of view we're still here. I think that's the, the takeaway.
0: It's a great point. Yeah. Frank, you mentioned a gentleman named Max Spire. I haven't heard this name. Could you elaborate on who that is for the audience and myself?
4: I definitely could, but you're going to have to give me a moment.
0: That's fine. Is he, can you, is he like a Julian uh, Assange type whistleblower character
4: An author? What, what's this guy about? I want to say he was a journalist. Big conspiracy guy just talking about a lot of dark, evil stuff happening in our world. And he died in a very, very suspicious manner shortly after a slew of tweets that were pointed, pointing towards that he was going to get killed. I want to say it happened back in like 2012,
5: 2012, something like that around that time. Yeah, he was a British journalist, 2016, 2016, 2016, yeah, 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 he passed away. Wow. They found him, right? He, they said they found him. He had like black fluid coming out of him when he died, right? They, uh, Like black
0: goo? Have you guys heard about the black if... goo
1: stuff from <laughs> yeah. space? Yeah. <laughs>
5: It, it was unbelieved that he had some type of lack substance, but they they claim he died of natural causes. I mean, he was only thirty nine yeah, well, years old. Of course,
0: what what was he covering as a journalist? Something that involves black liquids?
4: <laughs> no, he would talk about like UFOs, the suppression of. Alien presences—that's I mean, um, not
0: far off from alien
4: black goo, in my opinion. I mm, mean, if there's black any- ops type activities, yeah. wow. children experimentation, child sex trafficking, shit
3: like that. Wow. Yeah,
5: I think they he also- was
3: also kind of in that realm of 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 Corey Good, peripherally, where they said like when he was a child, like he was, you know, he was like being made to be a super soldier or something so weird, weird like peripheral thing to the my lab program mm.
5: he he was big on trying to sanction like secret military activities that had conducted experiments on children so that would go along with the lines of probably the my lab program but they said natural causes but supposedly he was a an opioid user too so mm. they said that that could have led to it as well but it's too it, it the connections are too too much there you're talking about programs that other people have whistleblown about I and I haven't and I don't know if the, the Mike or, or Frank has, has read through some of his journal entries if you can even find some of them anymore but that he he was definitely tapping into something that he probably he shouldn't and as we found out quite a few times in our research that has anything to do with the CIA in their manual like getting dropped out a window i think they call They call some of their, (laughs) their yeah, drop. They didn't, you don't fall out of a window. You drop out of a window. Yikes. So something could have happened to him for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a long list of people that disappear or die and there's no solution. I mean, just in this last decade, there's a, a couple strange deaths. The unsolved death of one Adrian Lamo, a hacker who was involved in the Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning stuff to some degree. He was found in his bedroom in Wichita, Kansas. There's certainly others. There's a long list here. And this is all just on Wikipedia, folks. Right right there under our noses. But yeah, it's, it's definitely sinister. Another person that came up as you were describing Max Spire was Isaac Cappy. I mean, different subject matter, yeah. but he was certainly making waves uh, only recently ago i think that was in like what 2016 2017 maybe more recent than that he was going on the internet claiming that seth green and others were part of this type of ritual abuse cult satanic ritual abuse cult of some kind and (laughs) and then shows up dead in in the middle of the road uh, uh, underneath an overpass you know and they say oh yeah he jumped off this 15 foot overpass To commit suicide, and it's like, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. Fifteen, maybe head first. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, it's definitely (laughs) strange stuff. I mean, I don't feel like anything you know we cover on shows like this is risky. But some of the guests I talk to certainly push those boundaries. I mean, just recently, I spoke with a guy named Dave Zed who has had a couple knocks on his door for research he's doing in his basement, not anything involving secret societies or crime or anything like that, but free energy and maybe even (laughs) UFO-type technology. He claims he has been working on some stuff, some anti-gravity stuff in his basement. And I don't know. He's very vague. I don't know if you guys have ever heard him on a show before, but I just had him on the show, and he claims that, uh, yeah, just by working on this stuff it let off some kind of signal for whatever technology devices they have to pick these signals up and they knew exactly where to go they knew who who was doing it they knocked on his door and they started you know doing the intimidation thing so this stuff can get really real i mean i personally i'm not willing to go down that road and research any hidden hidden technology get myself caught up in black ops but it seems like there's a reality to it it's 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 larger than just like sci-fi imaginations from people who stay on their computer too long you know
3: Mm. yeah that's along the same lines of like the people that created engines using water Mm. you know that ran off of water Mm. you know how many of those people were killed? Just
4: recently um, that happened. Right. So yeah. some dude just finished one of those cars and I think he had like a heart attack a couple of days later or something. oh heart no. attack. Yeah. Wow. Heart
5: yeah. attack.
3: Even the people that are doing the the whole biodiesel thing, you know, where they're using like waste oil and turning that into fuel for, for engines. A lot mm-hmm. of those people are like, I mean, the, the biodiesel's been going around for a while, but I think that is more of something that... You know, it's, it's not readily available. Like those people have to go to like restaurants and stuff and Hey, can I use your, your spent oil and drive around smelling like French fries, but, (laughs) but, but you know, the water, water engines are like, everybody has water, you know? So it's like one of those things where you're threatening the biggest, one of the biggest industries in the entire world, you know, the oil consumption or, or gasoline, whatever you want to going to you know it's 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 kind of funny because it's like when they were talking about with california you know they want all the cars to be electric by when was the day of 2030 or something
5: 2035 i believe they're yeah. not going to sell any more gas cars they're not going to sell any more gas cars yes. so it's 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 a
3: it's the weird thing i don't think that we will ever get into that point where we are using those those renewable energies to a sufficient amount i think everything that could bring us to that point will be suppressed as it always has been
4: i don't fully get that subject though i mean i do but i don't because you've got conglomerates like amazon who's pushing to have their entire fleet of vehicles green running off of hydrogen fuel cells by like late 2020s early 2030s why why wouldn't they push the public to go the same route unless they want to keep to the strict battery electric vehicles stuff that you know children in the congo have to mine lithium for and cobalt for instead of using strictly water sourced energy but well, yeah, i don't know it's weird i'll tell you what it's
0: multi-layered as a former amazon driver there's no way they're pulling off the routes they pull off with
4: electric batteries <laughs> they're going to they're <laughs> going to
0: need a whole another fleet to go out and recharge them
4: <laughs> well no they'll they'll be using hydrogen fuel cells right right
0: well no and that's my point is that they'll never put this technology out there for the public but they'll use it to cut costs with their own corporations because that's seems to be where our governments really their interests are going towards the corporate what's good for them what's good for these mega corporations these conglomerates that have usurped what should have been you know uh, constitutional balances and checks that they're imposing or used to impose on these groups now it seems that they they the corporations impose the checks and balances on the government i mean yeah, I, I get really nervous as a as someone who loves driving about, you know, hearing about that kind of stuff because, yeah, it doesn't seem like our best interests are in mind. It's dirtier than oil in the first place because, like you said, they're mining lithium and cobalt, these rarefied min- minerals. And, yeah, man, it, it it only, the only reason they would need a technology like that is to control us, right? I mean, I'm sure
5: you guys all agree. I was going to say exactly that. I think recently I just saw a news article for one of the news stations and it had like bullet points about EV vehicles. And it's something that I already heard before, but it's the perfect way, like you said, to control because say you're driving in California, you have an EV vehicle, they've pushed it. By 2035, everybody has to own one of those vehicles, which are not even that affordable. And that's like the the fallacy. They're like, oh, they're not that expensive. It's forty five to sixty thousand dollars is an expensive car. Like that's that's expensive. But if you, you know, like the cons- like where we go with conspiracies, if you believe in the nefarious agenda that is ongoing, you're driving say California, and then you get to the Arizona state line, car stops can't go anymore. Your social credit score is not high enough. You don't have enough gas credits and your car is shut off, locked, and you're completely either stuck there or your car is a brick. And I feel like that's definitely the main reason for pushing EV. It's not for renewables or saving the environment or, or whatever they claim it is. I think it's a good front if you have companies like Amazon saying, oh, we're using, you know, you know all this stuff because then the public's like, oh, then I'm gonna do it. If Amazon's doing it, I can do it. Because who doesn't use Amazon, right? You know? Well, I mean, they, they are doing it. Well, yeah, it, but it pushes the public to be like, oh, well, if they're doing it, then they care, so I have to care. But in reality, it's to completely control your car. I mean, Tesla can lock you out of your own vehicle if they want to.
4: Yeah, so. you, you just need a foot of snow, and <laughs> you can't get in. Your your door is iced <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, I def- also
3: wonder how much of that has to do with like company optics, you know, like PR. Like, you know, if they put out this mission statement that oh, we're going to swap over to this more fuel-efficient or more green way of delivering, you know, like you said, people look at that and they go, oh, well, these guys are doing good for the the earth and they're doing good for the environment. So,
0: yeah. Well and people used to laugh and when you'd suggest you know oh there's an agenda there's a plan you know and it seems like groups like the Tavistock Institute have programmed us into this position where we believe that man is a blight on nature We believe that anything man does is in contradiction to nature. Therefore, we need to switch our energy consumption to something else, right? Don't look at the deadly, gross minds that, you know, we're using child labor to pull this stuff out of the ground in the Congo where it's, you know, cheap. Don't look at that. You know, they have this whole theater of the mind laid out through our culture where people... You know, you can walk them through that and they'd still tell you, oh, well, but this is, you know, what's best, right? It, it's almost like a cognitive dissonance has been created. And I wonder, you know, with your in, in, your uh, research into the Tavistock Institute, if you found any of the mechanisms by which they manipulate us like this, right, as sort of cognitive dissonance or any other examples of how they sort of subtly
3: implant these concepts,
5: Mm. Oh
3: yeah. <laughs> well you were you were talking about we we're just talking about the green movement or you know going green. They invented that. You know, they they invented the idea that there was a climate crisis. So if you look back towards the 80s, late 70s, there was his name escapes me now, but there was an oil tycoon from Canada, a Canadian oil tycoon who of all people on earth said that we have an environmental issue with the with with Earth and using fossil fuels. Coincidentally, in 1980, he also headed the Tavistock conference in which that was one of their big talking points along with women in the workforce mm-hmm. uh, and a couple other weird things that they were ramping up. And then after that conference, you start to see, a lot more ad space and a lot more women in the corporate world. There was a big push for it. Tavistock, you know, a lot of people don't know about them, but they are probably one of the most powerful, influential institutes over The psychology of the way that people think as consumers or as homebodies or as family members, the way that they think they they're completely comprised of psychiatrists and psychologists starting early World War One. So they've been operating for a long, long time. One of their biggest things was creating propaganda campaigns. You know, a lot of people look at it and they go, oh, well, we joined World War II because Germany was big bad guys. Well, actually, the created a propaganda campaign against Germany headed up by by the UK to involve us in World War Two. So if you look just before we joined World War Two, there was a lot of anti-German sentiment In the United States propagated by all of this propaganda that Tavistock was releasing out into the country. There was a big push throughout the U.K. and throughout the U.S. because Germany was economically stronger than the U.K. at the time. And U.K. did not like that. So they essentially hired Tavistock to involve the United States and to back up the UK in joining World War II against Germany, to put them into economic hardship. Right. So they used a lot of propaganda and, you know, used the human mind against themselves, you know, against, against its own people. Yeah. And
4: then you apply that to Vietnam, the Korean War, Iraq all the following wars, and you can actually see society change and morph and mend to somebody's liking leading up to these wars and following these wars during these wars. Wartime is a great time for for social manipulation.
0: Yeah, no, it does seem like we're perpetually at war, the United States. I mean, I don't know if there's a, a large... Time period when we haven't been at war, right? I mean, whether it's small conflicts in Grenada and the Philippines and wherever else, or major conflicts like the long drawn out one in Afghanistan and, and of course the major wars. But yeah, wow, that's a really interesting point. I mean, in my research into Skull and Bones, the whole World War II setup that's an element as well, right? You mentioned Tavistock being a part of that. And what I found fascinating about skull and bones particularly is they're sort of rested right inside of a somewhat British institution. I mean, Yale, of course, it's part of the American colonies, but they have a certain liking towards British culture and maybe even are swayed towards the Brits in certain extent. They work lockstep with Harvard, Oxford, and and Cambridge. So there's this, you know, ideological breeding ground that happens in the academia. And Tavistock is one of these examples of like, well, we we're done with college. Let's, you know, continue, uh, you know, what we were doing in our little like boys clubs on the main stage and, and take this influence that we had over, you know, you and your college days and spread it amongst these corporations. And that's why you see these things happening seem simultaneously. You know, like Mm -hmm. people often call that out and say, well, how could that everybody be working together on these things? And it's like, well, if you go far enough up to the top, they're all getting orders from the same people. So it makes sense Mm -hmm. that they're all kind of following the same line. But when it comes to Yale, I mean, for me, that was a, a big local interest. Are there any local, I mean, New England... Yale and Skull and Bones are not solely responsible for our weird reputation up here. Are there any local conspiracies that you guys have looked into that are worth noting? Anything Connecticut oh, or New England?
4: The Pettit family murders. Mm,
0: okay. That was one, yeah. Tell me we about this. We got into the
4: Pettit family murders. Huh. Do you remember Dr. Pettit no. and his his family getting killed and he, he escaped? What year was that? It sounds like a familiar
0: name, but no, I don't remember any of the details about this.
4: That was
5: in Cheshire, Connecticut as as well.
4: So Dr. Pettit, fairly wealthy family. I don't remember exactly what town they lived in. Cheshire. But they were victim, allegedly, of home intrusion, and they were taken hostage. They were tied up. I think there were two robbers. Dr. Pettit was in the basement. I think he had two daughters upstairs. They took the wife to the bank and made her like go inside and withdraw a bunch of money. And the other guy stayed at the house and completely wreaked havoc on, on the family and torched the house, burned it down and Pettit got out.
1: Yeah. I he think, was the only one to survive.
4: Yeah. The, the story is he crawled through a window in the basement or something along those lines and now he is a massive figure in Connecticut. He, he's got the Pettit Foundation and there's tons and tons of money going in and out of this foundation. I'm sure a lot of it is charity related. But if, if you really look at it in a conspiratorial sense, there, there could be something there with his foundation and himself and the people that he's surrounded himself with and his, his pull on local government. It's it's really almost like it, it gives me like Batmany vibes like some crooked <laughs> Bathathom shit almost. Most like he you 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 might be, you know,
0: feel free to deny this but are you suggesting he might have set this up for himself to become like that Batman type figure and have that like, well, now I'm a victim but
4: I'm also a vengeant wielding victim. That's that's the conspiracy there, yeah. And the, wow. that that might hit really close to home if you like you have a lot of local listeners, and some people so. might find that incredibly <laughs> offensive. But like where I grew up, particularly, oh, there yeah. was a bunch of people that believed that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, I should have thought of this when I asked you guys, but we all know the big, big conspiracy in Connecticut that we shall not name the Sandy. You know what? So, oh yeah. But that's, that's another one being in Connecticut, I mean, I don't know, you guys seem a little older than me, so maybe you weren't into this stuff back then, but I certainly was. And when it hit, I raised some questions and it was like, you know, get the pitch tor the, the, the pitchforks and the torches out and run Mark out of town. Like, don't even talk about, you know, you got that feeling immediately from people. If you even questioned anything, obviously, People who lived elsewhere on the Internet, they were keyboard warriors saying whatever they wanted. But if I said anything, I had like 20 people jump down my throat that just knew me. Friend associations on Facebook or or just talking about it in school felt like, you know, social suicide. (laughs) Your family thought you were crazy you know the show this is yeah we're, we're all right at home here
5: <laughs> I and mean, it does come full circle with Tavistock if you're talking about social programming mm, right and you know if those if those incidents all the ones that have happened at least you know I guess it's really Columbine all of the ones that have happened could that have been the first could they all just be copycats I mean that's why we speculate the conspiracy of of what could be happening I guess with what they're called quote what quote-unquote false flag events or, or whatnot but it's it's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of evidence for some of these incidents that it, there was fishy, you know, happenings. It's might, might not have been fishy happenings, but the wrong play. And one, one that was really big that, you know, was probably the most catastrophic one is, I mean, not to say that little, little kids is pretty terrible, but the most catastrophic one is Vegas. That one is very, very suspicious in my eyes when it comes to those types of events, because I don't believe one guy could do that much damage with two hands from that far away. Right. And uh, there are a lot of videos that are gone now. They're completely gone that were happening right at the time. I mean, we still had the technology of live streaming and Snapchat was, I think really, really big at the time. And there's muzzle flash coming off from different windows and different floors. Mm -hmm. So that one is, that one is the most suspicious for me out of, out of all those. But I think, Could have started in 2012 when they started to really push the, or up the ante on that stuff, because now it's, how many have we had this year? 600? shootings or some type of shit some crazy well, number goes yeah. up every year they definitely
0: yeah. have lowered the bar as far as qualifications go for mass shootings i think a lot of gang violence is now being considered a mass shooting whereas maybe it was considered gang violence statistically in the past but mm-hmm. it's absolutely you know it doesn't negate the fact that we shouldn't have these types of things going on whether gang or or you know school related and yeah i i feel like vegas you know, I certainly agree, stands out. Have you guys heard the theories about what was going on with the Saudis uh, in that casino on that night and how maybe there was some co- sort of dispute between like, you know, what do they call them, a diplomat and, and a sort of, you know, highly regarded businessman from saudi arabia is, you know had his own private security that was present and they might have been responsible in some
3: way or or a part of this orchestrated event oh. i heard something about saudi's i didn't know all, all the details of that yeah but there was there was one thing that was like really suspicious about that entire situation so it, it's happening in vegas and Anybody who's been to Vegas, like you see, there's a lot of surveillance all around that place. There's I don't even I couldn't even tell you how many security cameras and for a while I think days following they were like oh we have no we have no video footage of this guy coming into the into the hotel that was like the the ongoing story that there was no footage there was no stills there was nothing of him coming in and then there was the question of how does he get in there with these guns and all those you know all the ammo and and then days later they just all of a sudden were like oh here is a Here's an image of him waiting in the elevator lobby, waiting on an elevator with two of those, you know, the, the, the luggage carts. carts yeah. yeah, the bellhop carts. He's got two of them, and, and he's just got duffel bags stacked up on them. I'm like, so so. you went from saying that the guy, that you had nothing on video of this guy, you had nothing going on, to all of a sudden, here's the smoking gun. He's got 20 fucking duffel bags on two carts and he's going up to his room. Like, I don't know. It's just that, that was, that never sat right with me. But as far as the Saudi thing, no, that was, that was like I said, I've heard of it. Didn't know the details behind it.
0: Yeah. It does seem like he was some sort of patsy, you know, bringing all those guns up. Maybe some other individuals joined him on that floor. But yeah, that's, that's very telling that we're in a society that's not geared towards our best interests, right? When these sorts of things are going on, I mean, obviously the media we can't trust. It's probably why shows like ours are becoming so popular because people realize, you know, the authority you were taught to trust as a, a youth in school or wherever you grew up or were raised is not you know, on your side. I mean, I I really feel pity for anyone who doesn't, see it by now but we should all recognize it after this you know pandemic that we all went through but yeah it's it's certainly strange times to be a conspiracy theorist what do you guys (laughs) think about the aria stuff this seems to have exploded in interest over the past five years it's all over the social media platforms what do you think about that topic have you guys looked into it at all
5: we're going to. We're getting there. I think we just started really talking about it because of the the wave of, of people talking about it in so many other shows. I think it all kind of boils down into what we talk about in general. I think the suppression of that information of what could be happening. Because, you know, you know, the mid-1800s is kind of a foggy time, especially if you're talking about, like, the whole mud flood portion of the thing. Because t- the Tataria. I guess, I guess conspiracy, but that alternate history version is such a thick onion because you pull back one layer and you're like, oh, my God, that's something I already heard of. But now I have to visit this and visit that. It's very intriguing. And it's definitely, definitely stuff that I personally want to go down because any show that's talking about it, I definitely want to hear what people have to say Mm. about it. I'm interested for me. That's like the
4: Game of Thrones of conspiracies. And I've always been scared to start Game of Thrones because of how dense of a show it is. Like it just seems never ending. And Tataria seems very similar. Dave and I were on a a show a couple of weeks ago and they started going down that rabbit hole. They're pulling up pictures and they're talking about it. And it got me going. I'm like, shit, I got to get into this. (laughs) But it's so daunting. I don't even know where to start.
5: It's yeah. it's hard to find a starting point. Yeah. It really
0: is. Well, it seems like there's elements to it that are worth looking into but from my perspective going into this stuff for a little while now, I'm no expert. I definitely think there's a level of it where you reach a point where you're like, oh, this might all just be Russian propaganda because that is a big element to the Tartaria stuff is they're saying, oh, well, you know, America used to be owned by us, which, you know, that that doesn't seem. I don't know. I'm I'm no expert. But again, I've been a kind of put on the the fire over the coals, so to speak, on this topic on numerous shows just airing skepticism because I always try to be a little contrarian when I see a bunch of people going towards the same conclusion, right? I mean, I try to hit hit the brakes at that moment, but but yeah, it's certainly fascinating. And being from New England, I'm sure you guys agree, like there's very old stuff you can see here. I mean, 400 <laughs> years old is how old the town I'm in is, and, and you know, that's a lot of time to look at, right? I mean, <laughs> there's there's been a lot. That's gone on since. And as I alluded to in the beginning of our show, before we started recording, I've done some research into New Haven. If you guys are interested, maybe we can take a look down that rabbit hole and you guys can ask me some
5: questions. What do you think? For Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Love talking about gun wave in New Haven. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So
0: <laughs> when I was in college, I went to Gateway and I was way more interested in hanging out on the green than anywhere else. Like between classes, I would go to the green, you know, there's a bunch of homeless people there and I would smoke weed and kind of blend in with them. Right. Nobody would bother me. And as I was getting used to my surroundings, I ran into this guy who didn't look like anyone else I'd ever met in my entire life. He was a short, very dark, very tan dude from Arizona, native American. And He came up to me because I was wearing a shirt that had Geronimo's or I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I was wearing a shirt that had sitting bull on it and we struck up a conversation. Next thing you know, he's telling me he moved to New Haven of all places from Arizona because of Geronimo's skull, which I know since you covered this a while ago, you guys know Skull and Bones has Geronimo's skull among a bunch of others that they allegedly kiss and maybe even do other weird stuff with. So he told me this. I was shocked cuz I'm only, you know, 17, 18, 19 around that age. I was interested in conspiracies, but no one in my real life had actually like presented one to me and pointed a build like pointed at a building like, "Yeah, it's over there," you know. So that kicked off a long series of like weird experiences in New Haven. I'm still friends with the the guy's name's Amos, and uh, one of the things that he taught me was there's a spiritual reason for them having Geronimo, right? It wasn't just like they stole it for fun, right? Which is would make sense, especially considering the time period, you know, like there was a dis disrespectful air about the Native Americans in the eighteen early eighteen hundreds. The West wasn't settled yet, right? So people in New England thought of them as like the enemy, right? So if you went out to the enemy territory and brought back a trophy, like that was a that was a really big thing. So that kind of really stuck with me over the years and then obviously getting into the podcasting game I've had a lot more time to sift through the history and and figure out what's really going on. So I'm going to pull up a slide and show you guys something cuz you you probably have seen the green, maybe you've seen it from above if you've been on one of the buildings, but have you ever noted the weird pathway symmetry you ever looked at the new haven green and thought why are the paths crossing each other like that you ever looked at it and thought that i don't know weird question
3: i i like i was telling you earlier i spent some time around yale there's some very questionable lines as you would as you would put them Mm. the way that things are laid out around that campus and around that city that, that I always kind of question myself. So I, I'm interested to see what you got on it. All right. So let me pull up this slide. Yeah, there's, I think
0: there's some kind of pattern. And at the beginning of the conversation, I kind of hinted at this. I told you guys that New Haven's a necropolis, right? And you're probably like, what the hell does he mean a necropolis? So here's, here's New Haven from above. Let me know when you guys can see this. What? So do you see this like, Very obvious pentagram, inverted pentagram. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have an eight-sided fountain there in the middle. Now, when I looked back at older maps, the eight-sided fountain wasn't there, and there was something called a Liberty Pole there, which may connect to this occult druidic ritual of the Maypole, right? If you know anything about paganism and and the different groups within paganism there's this practice of putting a artificial tree of life up we're going to do it all everyone's going to do it at the end of the month right we're going to put the tree of life up in our living rooms and dance around it and all that jazz and and that's essentially what that fountain stands for in in a way and the eight-sided thing is is a whole nother rabbit hole any eight-sided structure is said to connect to this old Roman myth of the Tower of the Winds, right? And Jefferson was obsessed with this. He built a bunch of octagonal houses. So anyways, when you look at this pattern as a conspiracy theorist, you're like, okay, maybe this is a sigil. Maybe this is like just a pentagram, whatever it is. But then you learn that right here, I don't know if you can see my mouse, but right here in the back of the churches, that's where they used to bury all of the people in the early days of the colony. So right underneath the park here are about 6,000 buried people. And I think that number 6,000 might be a little bit of a fudging of the numbers, but I think they're fudging the numbers because they want it to be 6,000, right? So anyways, there's a bunch of people buried under that portion of the green. And I'm sure you guys remember Hurricane Sandy came through and ripped this area up. Well, there was actually a tree that fell down in the green during the Hurricane Sandy, and within the roots were a bunch of skeletons that got pulled up. So, I mean, they're right below the surface. It's it's not, you know, we're talking like two, three feet below where people are sleeping, because some people sleep on the green, the homeless, right? So we have this sort of energy of the dead going on in a public park, a place that, you know, thousands of people gather in the summer, right? We have these big music festivals that go on there. So, curiously enough, all of the Ivy League schools seem to be along this one line. Now, this line has been talked about for a while by certain ley line hunters and they call it the city ley line because of all the cities that line up on it Boston, New York City, Philadelphia Atlanta, New Orleans but what maybe some people haven't noticed is that there are a bunch of Ivy League schools that all happen to be on this line as well. Yale being kind of at the center and it also kind of forms a triangle with Dartmouth and Cornell if you were to draw a line between the three. And from what I've researched, Harvard was the first school, Yale came second, and then all the rest followed. So Harvard and Yale are kind of like the big, you know, players in this equation. And I'm going to stop sharing for a second and switch over to another slide because I have another picture that's that's interesting. But basically my thought is that this park that has those pentagrams on it, is radiating an energy, right? You have the people buried underneath it. You have activity going on all throughout the year. You have churches on the grounds itself. And you have a time period where, I think it was the late 1700s, just about after the Revolutionary War was sort of coming to a close and and the country was being formed, they decided they were going to build a private cemetery because the cemetery, the burial ground behind the churches was becoming sort of a mess. There was yellow fever at that time. Dogs would go and dig up holes and pull bones out of the ground. So they, they had the need to start this other cemetery. And that's when the Garden of the Dead was created, right? And this is the first private nonprofit cemetery in the United States, and possibly even in the the entire world. So maybe if you guys have walked around New Haven, you've noticed the cemetery with the big Egyptian doors, right? And I'm about to show you those, but those are in alignment with the rest of New Haven in this really strange way. So the Skull and Bones tomb, the Beinecke Memorial Library, the Book and Snake Tomb, the Yale Law School, the Dining Hall, the Art Museum, they all exist on this one little road called High Street. It's a one-way road. And what I've sort of figured out, or what I'm guessing, is that this is called a corpse road or a road of the dead. So they would have these corpse roads that they would use in ancient Britain to take recently deceased people to the funeral, and then to the cemetery where they'd be buried. And the lore around these roads is that, you know, at night you have all these spirits traveling down these roads. And I don't know if you guys have looked too far into the Skull and Bones' rituals. You guys mentioned some stuff, but they do all kinds of weird little shenanigans at night, and you have to wonder that if maybe they're, Trying to harness that spirits of the dead energy with these rituals that they're doing, dressing up in cloaks, screaming at each other, paddling each other, you know, doing mock executions and and things like that. So, let me pull up this slide and show you guys the corpse road. So, this is an old map of New Haven. Right down here at the bottom of that yellow line is where the tomb is, and then here is where the cemetery is. So this is a one-way street right here, and then it becomes kind of like a walking path on the campus. Here's the old burying ground, and here's the cemetery. So that's kind of where the, is sorry. Go uh, ahead.
3: Where is where is Beinik in relation to this?
0: That's oh, okay. Yeah, right I see. there. Okay, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of the the look from above, and here's the cemetery gates, right? You have this, the dead shall be raised ominously <laughs> written above this very Egyptian-looking gate with the raw sun disk on the top. So, you know, this isn't like any other cemetery in the country, in my opinion. I mean, there's a bunch of very weird mints and sepulchres marking graves. There's also a bunch of very prominent people buried in the cemetery including this very mysterious saint john who i still don't know what he did or who he was but he had a lot of money and he was buried next to two of the founders of skull and bones or people that were around during the founding of skull and bones so it seems like skull and bones given the time of this cemetery being built had something to do with the group that built it and There's this sort of occult flavor in New Haven. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? You guys saw the strange pentagrams, and if you walk around long enough, you'll see other strange things. There's another slide that I I had somewhere. I'm sure you guys have seen the tomb and and what it looks like, but anyways, just a a little taste of, of what I've been getting into. I thought you guys might think that's interesting, given you've been to New Haven. If That's you, some uh, heavy shit. Yeah, if
5: you <laughs> enjoy looking at old parks like that, check out aerial views and run some lines around Boston, Boston Common, mm. and some of the directional lines. It's there's a portion of the park in the center where, like, it's a huge gazebo, right? And you, yeah. it's a circle with a bunch of lines coming out, and some of these lines, one of them, I believe, that points to the northeast, goes pretty much right to Bunker Hill Monument, which mm. is an obelisk. And then there's one that points northwest that connects with that one, and it pretty much points like right to Harvard, wow. right down into Harvard Square across the river. And okay. I'm not sure; I haven't done lines with the other ones. It, it doesn't really define like pentagrams or, or you know, those types of formations. But if you probably look deep enough at the some of the pathways and walkways throughout that park and then uh, what's the other one the public gardens that's next to it there's probably some serious uh, we never looked when we go and look and see if there's any weird formations in in those areas
0: i'm glad you said that because there is a a author i've interviewed who's from boston or at least the area i think he's from quincy and he uh, he has in his book all these ley lines he's actually the guy i said earlier who named the city ley line and he has like a heptagon or a hexagon For Boston. So maybe that gazebo you're talking about is at the center of this hexagon or part of the hexagon, but he's sort of shown how the hexagon is oriented towards this city ley line. So I don't know completely why or what but it seems like whoever's setting up our country and has the ability to plan this stuff they're using some kind of occult magic occult science to lay these roads and lay things out in a certain way you know and i mean if you look at all the megaliths right they're all yeah. aligned with the stars and whatnot so maybe these are too
5: look at washington dc right I mean, a prime example of the entire city being laid out like that and not just small portions of it right
4: are there are there more tidbits of egyptian influence throughout new haven than in that cemetery specifically and like what what ties does that have to the possible rituals that they're partaking in great question yeah so
0: there are others the book and snake tomb that is right across the street from the cemetery. Has these what's the right to, caduceuses as iron posts? So you you have an wrought iron fence, and each post is a caduceus, right? So there's one example, and I'm certain there are others. I've always looked at the Beinecke Library as this like big white cube, and I think that maybe could represent like the black and the white. You have the white cube here in New World and you have the black cube of Mecca, right? I don't know. I mean, there's something there possibly. But one thing about the cemetery that's really interesting and it kind of speaks to the larger part of New Haven, it's made out of a specific type of Portland brownstone, right? And you guys know Portland, Connecticut and the Discovery Park that's up there. Well, all of that (laughs) brownstone that came out of that Discovery Park or what now is a Discovery Park, formerly a quarry, went to New York City, it went to New Haven, went all over the place, and it it made it, its way into a lot of these really important buildings, curiously enough. And you can see it, they used it to build the cemetery gates, they used it to build the Skull and Bones tomb, and they used it to build a few other buildings. The Wolf's Head Lodge is built from somewhat Portland brownstone, but the rest of it's like this really dark, brick. And then the street that the cemetery is flanked on the western side by is called Ashman Street. And Ashman was the ancient city in Egypt of Thoth, right? And they allegedly named this Ashman Street because Yehudi Ashman, who was a guy who came from, I think, Boston, His idea was that we were going to send all of the freed slaves back to Africa to Liberia. And he was a part of the founding of the colony of Monrovia, Liberia, which was like an American colony in Africa where they were planning on sending slaves back to, which is sort of, you know, a racist idea in the first place to cover up for an even more racist thing that they did in the first place. Right. And, and, Also, the people who were doing it were kind of the same people who became, what do we call them, eugenicists, right? So Ashman, he's a strange character already, wasn't from New Haven, just had friends in New Haven. So when he died, they shipped his body to New Haven and buried him right at the front of this cemetery. Right when you walk in, you see his very ornate sarcophagi-looking sepulcher thing, and his name's right on the front, Ashman. So You know, that right there is to me points at a larger myth or energy they're trying to portray with his name written in stone, right? Like his role is whatever he did in life wasn't as important as the fact that he was named Ashman and they were going to like take his namesake and imbue it into the energy of the cemetery. And then, you know, St. John kind of harkens back to St. John the Baptist, which is, you know, St. John is the Baptist is a big Masonic symbol. The Freemasons are are very much, they have St. John the Baptist and one other saint that they really are fond of. And Freemasons arguably are carrying over a lot of ideas from Egyptian culture in the first place, right? So we, we kind of have Skull and Bones taking over the role of Freemasonry at a point in politically in the country when everybody was anti-Mason. They all were afraid of Masons. So a lot of these groups that were once public, like the debating societies at Yale, they said, okay, well, we can't be as public anymore, so we're going to have these secret groups that we're going to not talk about, right? And that's that's how the Masons continued what they were doing in secret, allegedly, right? So I hope—and I, I hope i answered your question there's a bunch of other elements outside of egyptology but but yeah there's there's certainly a cult a cult atmosphere with elements of egyptian and other things
4: undoubtedly
3: yeah did you find any connection between the book and snakes and the masons Well,
0: what's interesting is the Wolf's Head Lodge seems to be the more Masonic of the three. There are others than just three, but Book and Snake and Skull and Bones seem like the same group. It seems like they created a secondary version of themselves to accomplish (laughs) some kind of goal. I mean, they're even using the same letters, B, S, S, B, right? So I think that's kind of evident, but Wolf's Head Lodge, their symbol is a wolf's decapitated head on top of an upside down ankh, And the term wolf's head actually means a son of a Mason. So that to me indicates that they're kind of more of the Masonic American, maybe Masonic or French Masonic. And then you have like the, um, German Illuminati influence, right? Because the guys who, officially created Skull and Bones, they went to the University of Berlin the summer before their senior year. And that's where they learned about a lot of these fascist ideas that became a part of the way that they conduct government. I mean, George Hegel and the Hegelianism, the Hegelian dialect, I mean, the Prussian military academy influence, like all of these things that we would now consider fascist were like being thought about in that time period in germany by people who considered themselves a part of the illuminati now the illuminati became curiously found out when one of their members was struck by lightning as he was carrying his papers to another guy to be you know distributed amongst their communication network and the bavarian government allegedly found these papers they found out what the illuminati was doing and they broke them up right but By that point, there had already been Illuminati chapters in other countries. So the theory is that it continued by other names in France, in Great Britain, in the UK, in the United States, right? So that's kind of where Skull and Bones has its like German Illuminati aspects to it. But it also is simultaneously Freemasonic as well, because all of these groups are using kind of the same themes, Differently, or or maybe they're using the same under different themes is a better way to say it, right? I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just about hiding it from people, so you're the only
5: one to do it. Hmm. So, do you think there was something to the name of actually just naming New Haven, New Haven? Well, that's that's a big part of it.
0: I think New Haven encodes the phrase New Heaven, because yeah, because they were very much a part of this perspective that God's judgment was upon us. Like this whole apocalyptic Christianity thing that a lot of certain Christian groups, maybe especially like the Heaven's Gate kind of stuff, like those cults, they have like a direct lineage to the planters and the Puritans, right? And and even further back to like people who became obsessed with the book of Revelations and this idea that God is going to come back and if you're not on the right side of his judgment now you know you you're going to be sorry right and that's sort of the manipulation that's one of the oldest manipulations there is is like you're a sinner so repent otherwise you know you're going to go to hell and I think that idea evolved over time into like a lot of these like apocalypse ideas that we see in the conspiracy and alternative religious communities, right? This idea that, you know, God's judgment is upon us. So the people who founded New Haven, yeah, they certainly felt like they're in a new heaven. They, they thought of the Native Americans as like, you know, savages who hadn't learned yet God's, you know, what God wanted them to learn, and, and they had to like Christianize them. So there's a lot of sort of concepts that came from Europe and blended into the New World in a way that to any outside observer wasn't consensual, right? The Native Americans got a really raw deal when the new colonists came. But yeah, I think, I think New Heaven definitely. I mean, it's like New Zion. It's like New Atlantis, right? Have you guys heard of Francis Bacon's New Atlantis? Like, it's the same concept of like, yeah, this is the world that God gave us, and everyone here doesn't believe in God, so it's ours to make, you know, the most of with. Like, this is the manifest destiny concept. Super
4: did Skull and Bones come after the actual establishment of Yale, or were any shadowy figures that are part of this secret society, were, were they involved in that establishment?
0: So Yale, interestingly, yeah, they, they're they like 100 years before Skull and Bones, but I've sort of made the argument that Skull and Bones found a perfect home at Yale, to your point, because... They had the debating societies there. So the secret societies are kind of continuation of the debating societies. But the presidents of Yale, going back to their first couple presidents, have quite a a group of interests that would make you think, yeah, there's like a secret society here. I mean, even the story of Yale, you know, 10 mysterious guys came together with 40 Folios and created a college the same year that Freemasonry became an official group, too, 1717. So that's when Yale became an official organization. But uh, hold on a second. So we have Timothy Dwight. He was the eighth president of Yale. He was a part of the Society of Cincinnatus, which was definitely. Freemasonic. Most of the founding fathers were a part of the Society of Cincinnatus, and it kind of goes back to like a Roman, Roman group or Roman ideology. There's also Ezra Stiles, who was a kind of prominent figure in Yale, and he had a friend that he learned the Kabbalah from. Not to mention he was also part of the Society of Cincinnati, but he would talk about the Kabbalah with this guy, Hayim Isaac Carrigal who was one of the first rabbis in the the colonies. At that time, you know, there weren't many people that immigrated here with Jewish beliefs. It was mostly people of Protestant faith who were escaping the, you know, England and Dutch, you know, wherever else. But Yeah, as for Stiles, he was the seventh president. And like I said, Dwight, Timothy Dwight was the eighth and they were both part of the Society of Cincinnati. It's kind of like the Rosicrucians to a certain extent, as well as the Freemasons. Like there's a lot of crossover with these groups, similar to how you have like now today, people will be a part of Skull and Bones and Bohemian Grove and the Council of Foreign Relations, you know, that they did the same thing in the past. The Linonian Society which preceded the secret societies, actually had America's first spy as a member, Nathan Hale. And he mm. was probably America's worst spy too, because he got caught and you know didn't have a, a good time. But he was a part of the Culper ring, which they used the code number 355, right? And what does Skull and Bones have as their number, 322? So, as much as there's like a hundred different interpretations on that 322, I kind of have come to think that maybe Nathan Hale's presence in New Haven, being an alumni of Yale, having a base named after him in New Haven. I think Yale and New Haven has always been a spy school. I think people from whether, you know, Skull and Bones or not people who graduate from Yale go on to be like, you know, intelligentsiyers for the elite, you know, this elite group of families that established themselves in the Plymouth, Mayflower, and, and, you know, New Haven colonies at the beginning of the, you know, our country's history, right? These people became the royals of our country now, you know, they, New Haven, Goodyear tires, right? That's from New Haven, the guy who first turned rubber into a tire was a part of those groups. So like these guys literally made the globalism what it is right out of New Haven. I mean, it goes from the rubber guys to the Sheffield school that literally figured out how to turn oil into combustible material. So Yale, it's kind of important when it comes to like this whole globalism conversation like they really do have a lot of the keys that became globalism a lot of the steps to globalism happened at Yale
5: you think the 322 you think just to make it obscure they just flipped it because if you flip a two over it's a five right
0: right that's well that's what I thought when I saw the Culper ring use the 355 I mean they had spies all throughout the colonies. The British had spies all over the place. I mean, Benedict Arnold famously, you know, turncoated. I think he was somewhat of a spy at a certain point. But yeah, there, there's a big overlap with espionage and the occult. You see this with, you know, later on with Aleister Crowley, who is kind of like the British Secret Service kind of character who's also playing around with guys like Harry Houdini and, you know, hanging out with Freemasons and starting weird cult sex groups and, you know, and also reporting back to the, the queen. Right. So like it, it seems like the elite have their hands in every CD industry. Right. I mean, new Haven Gunwave in new Haven, you know, it's had that reputation since the first guns were created. The Winchester repeating rifle was built in New Haven. The Browning rifle is out of Connecticut, right? So like all of these major gun companies started here. That can't be dismissed. So yeah, I think... Go ahead. Colton Hartford, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know... Oh, and then another guy that's interesting is Jebediah Morse. So he's the Mm -hmm. father of Samuel Morse, who created Morse Code. Jebediah Morse, he was the first person to talk about an Illuminati conspiracy taking over America. And he did it in New Haven. He was a preacher minister type of guy. And he learned about the protocols of Zion and some other stuff, or at least they say that he learned about the protocols of Zion because they try to like point everybody to the protocols of Zion and say, Oh, it's all just the protocols of Zion. They're just freaking out about that. So that's what they say. Jebediah Morris—he was the first person in American history to ever claim that there was an Illuminati conspiracy to take over the take over the country—and he was from New Haven, Connecticut. So I think he saw something happening in New Haven that probably alerted him or alarmed him, you know.
3: Shout out, Jedediah. <laughs> yeah, <the> real <laughs> <He's> OG. <laughs>
0: but anyways, I. I, I appreciate you guys humoring me and taking you down that rabbit hole. Any Anything you guys want to wrap up on? I mean, you've covered a lot on the Hush Hush Society. People can go to your rockfin channel i am also on rockfin so if you're already Mm -hmm. supporting the rockfin show go over to the hush hush society and subscribe to them as well you guys are on youtube obviously all the podcast platforms anything else you guys want to promote or or finish on
3: if you want anything to do with our show we have a website hushsociety.com very easy to find anything hush hush society that's us so you can find us anywhere We recently, as you mentioned on a a Rockfin channel, we recently just got into video within the past, what do you think? Yeah, recently. So we're just uploading videos onto Rockfin now, doing some past podcasts that are audio only onto Rockfin just to keep, you know, content up there. But yeah, we're super jazzed that we were on your show. We love the ZL stuff. I, I was... yeah. Yeah man I, I love the the research that you did it's crazy That's crazy strong. good man yeah. Thank you yeah no I mean sh-
0: I'm really happy to talk to fellow nutmeg guys to, you know, whenever <laughs> I'm talking about this podcast stuff or talking about this stuff on podcasts, people are like, oh, that's cool. But you get that sense of like, you know, they they don't have a grasp because mm-hmm. they haven't been there. And you guys really, you know, made me feel nice sharing that with you because I know you've all probably been in New Haven
5: and felt the same way I have. So yeah. yeah. it's a different connection when you know the area, right? Yeah. I would tell people if you're going to go visit New Haven and look at all this stuff, be careful. New Haven's <laughs> a little rough. Also, if you're there, pizza. Yes. Pizza, pizza, pizza.
0: Well, pizza. speaking Go of pizza. which, I'm actually doing a tour on the 17th. It'll be the third time I do a strange New Haven tour. So I know Mike and Frank are are still local. Dave, I hear you're all on the West Coast. But it's, anyone uh, listening and you, you guys are also welcome to join on the 17th. It's Saturnalia, and we're going to be looking at the Saturnalian New Haven. So if you're listening and you're in Connecticut, go over to my website. You'll find some more information there. And go to the Hush Hush Society's website. Check them out. Follow these guys. Support them on Rockfin. Thank you, dudes. I appreciate you joining me here, spending some time with me. I hope we could do this again and maybe do like a, a live stream, cross stream on Rockfin sometime. Absolutely. I live yeah. stream nearly yeah. enough as I should. So maybe you guys could teach me a thing or two about that. And yeah, man, this has been awesome. For everybody tuning in, enjoy uh, the moment. You can't
2: stop progress, but today, there isn't.
1: In the past, there always seemed to be enough time and people to do the work.
2: Seems to me
3: we could use some help. Today, everyone has to spend more time on work. Today, there isn't enough time.
2: Today, there aren't enough people. Machines. 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 Should think people should work machines should do the thinking people should do the work so i don't do much thinking anymore i'm too busy working all
0: right folks let's take a brief moment to talk about a very special sponsor one-time sponsor here galaxy treats delta 8 gummies high quality delta 8 gummies lab tested and crafted from even higher quality industrial hemp so if you want to get nice and high nice and buzzed without anybody noticing try galaxy treats delta gummies none of the stink associated with smoking cannabis and all of the benefits this is a creative Integration on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, Galaxy Treats Delta 8 Gummies. Here we are, folks. You're probably wondering, Mark, what do you mean creative integration? Well, as I am recording this, I am high with Galaxy Treats Delta 8 Gummies. And boy, do I feel great. I don't even know what to say next because my mind is racing. I'm seeing beautiful colors in my mind. Uh, My experience may not be the same as yours with Galaxy Treats Delta-8 gummies. Your experience may vary, but I can guarantee, regardless of your experience, that it will be a clean, safe, and lab-tested way to enjoy cannabis, specifically Delta-E. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, and enjoy the rest of this episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this episode of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Shout out to our guests, the Hush Hush Society, fellow nutmeggers, calling this divisive state of Connecticut home. Uh, last night on one of my uh, regular listens, uh, Kill Tony, a comedy podcast, he derided Connecticut and said it was where comedy goes to die and although this is not a comedy podcast i was insulted i think we we have a pretty good sense of humor here in connecticut so anyways shout out to the hush hush society one of the few podcasts that i've connected with from connecticut if if the only i don't think i have met anyone else from connecticut who has a podcast uh maybe one or two That started a podcast. Well, that doesn't quite count. Uh, Hush Hush Society has been around longer than this show has, so shout out to them. And uh, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff discussed. This conversation took place last year, so I don't remember everything that we talked about, Um, but nonetheless, I had a good experience meeting. All three of these wonderful folks, Mystery Mike declassified Dave, and as I liked to call him, Freaky Frank or Slick Frank Sanders, uh as they corrected me. But yeah, that's that folks. Please do go over to the Patreon and support the podcast. Patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can sign up for the $5 tier and get all the bonus content that you ever could imagine. Best bonus content that you could ever dream of. And also on Rockfin, we put all of the videos. Uh, there's also videos available on the Patreon. And Substack is another place where you can find bonus content. All of that is in the episode description and on the website. www.myfamilythinksymcrazy.com And of course, altmediaunited.com is our podcast cooperative that i founded alongside of a few other podcasters Uh, hopefully the hush hush society joins along until next time folks thank you for tuning in to this episode look forward to another new episode coming out tomorrow all right until next time folks immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now peace
2: MFTIC, the channel so The channel so good. Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters No, the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on you Subliminal messages, hot perception tricking the population with holographic projections we see through it and the system is unraveling i'm astral traveling through the library of the vatican on a sacred journey i embark with the squad for forever spitting truth like mark on the pod I gotta know the facts never hold back cause i ain't getting caught up in the soul trap i dissect the fabric of reality looking for the answers searching through the galaxy you might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna look. expose the whole facade. I awoke in a deep underground military base. Zero recollection of how I got to this place. Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders. Must have been extracted when they crashed into us. Animal hybrids contained in the cages. A lion with the eagle head. Monkeys with reptilian bases. Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate. I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit. All of a sudden, the wall flickers away. Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft. My I, wait. I run to the nearest one. See a guard knock him out. Rob him for his plasma gun. Hop in the ship, take the controls. they highly intuitive. I figure it out easily. Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light fly into the sky. Get flanked by six F 35s. Never hold back. Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap. I dissect the fabric of reality. Looking for the answers. Searching through the galaxy. You might be feeling stressed out. Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade